Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guests today are Eugenia Wilson with Living Advantage, Inc., based in California, Mike Williams with the Dash Foundation, based in Florida, and Andrea Ferrero Haggerty with Pockets Change, based in New York and California. Well, welcome everybody to the Aging Out Institute podcast series. I really appreciate that you could join us today. I think to get us started, what I'm going to do is ask everybody to go around and share a little bit about yourself and what you do. And why don't we start, Eugenia, with you? Hello, my name is Eugenia Wilson, and I'm with Living Advantage, Inc., that's INC, and we service foster youth and at-risk youth in the Los Angeles County area. We provide resources, services. We do tutoring and case management. And we work with the schools, Department of Children and Family Services, L.A. County Probation, as well as Riverside County Probation. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Mike, how about you? Yes. Hello. My name is Mike Williams. I'm the founder and CEO of the Dash Network, which is a social impact project created of a real estate organization, which is Dash Inc. And Dash Foundation, which is our foundation that spearheads all of our support. We specialize in providing experiential learning programs and resources that educate, develop, and support young adults who age out of foster care to self-confidence, self-sufficiency, and financial freedom. And how we do that is through supportive housing and coaching. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us. And last but not least, Andrea. Hi, I'm Andrea Ferrero-Haggerty. I'm the co-founder and executive director at Pockets Change. And we build financial resilience through hip-hop education. We work with foster care youth and community leaders all across the country. Our team's based in LA and Brooklyn, but we've worked with groups across multiple states and excited to share some of that work here today. Thank you. And we're excited to hear about it. So we're going to uh, start this conversation with the question of why is it that financial literacy is such an important topic for youth maybe particularly youth aging out of foster care as well. So I'm going to throw that open to whoever would like to dive in and answer first. Well, I believe this is Eugenia Wilson, that financial literacy is important, not just for our foster youth, but for all of us. But in regards to our foster youth, it's a challenge with them being able to be prepared. And it's important for our youth that are aging out of the system to understand the importance of making informed decisions and how important it is regarding budget efficiency and how to build a foundation for financial independence. But in regards to being able to do that, it's important for them to have the guidance and, you know, given the opportunity through workshops and mentors teaching them the importance of it. One of the things that's even more important before even getting started with their financial literacy is understanding their social security number, the importance of it and having it and the importance of it being safe for them when they're aging out of the system and what it does for them. Without that social security number, they won't be able to begin their financial freedom. So it's important that we work with our youth in teaching them the importance of financial literacy and the opportunities that they have. 
Mike or Andrea, do you have anything to add to that? Why is it important to teach young people these skills? Yeah, I can jump in and share. One of our program alums, a former foster youth, shared that if I don't have a plan for my money, it'll have a plan for me. I think that when it comes to the importance for financial education, it's all around us, right? It's such a big part of our lives and it impacts our choices that we're able to make in the future based on the choices we're making now. And for our foster youth, they're facing these really big decisions. Oftentimes, as you're aging out, you're thinking about college, you're thinking about where you want to move, you're thinking about job opportunities and all of those things when it comes to earning and saving and spending and borrowing. All of those things are going to impact you know, the next 10 to 30 years of your life. And so often we're not having these conversations. And so when we create space for that, when we create space to come together in community and talk about money openly and start to take action together, I think that that's really powerful. And what we've found over the last 15 years is our foster youth are incredibly creative. They have so many big goals. And when we're able to start to chart a path towards those and take small steps, it really puts that back into their pocket, right? Like we're able to start building those skills early and often, and also at the time when they're the most urgently needed. Yeah, absolutely. And at the beginning, you said, if you don't have a plan for your money, it will have a plan for you. It's usually not good if it takes over. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So thank you, Mike. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say definitely because the core of our model is financial literacy and we're real big on it. It's similar to what Andrea said. We have a saying that I created and I've lived by since I aged out myself. And it's really live life. Don't let it live you. And for our young people that come through our network, what we teach them is intentionality and strategic planning because young adults who age out, no matter how good or great you are, we only got five to eight years of support five years for the financial resources and up to eight years for our tuition waiver to the age of 28. And for us, when I compare that to the general society, typically when somebody's being intentional with their finances over five to 10 years, the goal is to buy a home. The American dream is to own a home. So our dash model, everything that we do is behind home ownership and investing. And so the three important pieces of financial literacy for us is budgeting, savings, and investing. Because for five years, when these young people come out, Most of society is looking at them as victims that need an overlay of support, wraparound services. But what we look at them as is first-class citizens that have every single layer of support that you need to be financially free. And so we shift the perspective of a young adult who's been victimized and abused in all these situations as someone who has, hey, five years to step up into the path of exceeding a lot of resources that you're going to get. And if you're financially literate, then you can maximize all of the financial resources you're going to get. Because at the end of the day, it's what the government is putting into the community, financial resources. It's just our young people don't know how to leverage them on an intentional pathway to create sustainability for themselves. So very, very pertinent to young people because they have a lot of financial resources coming to them. They just don't know how to use them. You know, you remind me, I aged out of foster care myself, and I don't recall anybody going over specifically financial skills, financial literacy. When I first went to college, I had to go to college, so thankfully I got that degree, but they are just handing out credit cards like candy. And I remember living on credit cards for quite a while and not really understanding the impact that that would have on my life. It took a long time for me to learn how to get that under control and to live within my means. So it would have certainly been nice to have a program like one of yours to help teach me that and so that I could start out a little bit stronger than I did. So let's go to the next question that I have. What are the key financial skills 
that foster youth really need to learn in order to transition into adulthood successfully from a financial competency perspective? I would say budgeting is very important. Understanding what credit is, and then in conjunction with credit, understanding banking and the financial services. Once we're able to work with our youth and they understand the importance of it, we're able to begin to build out the community. So working with our youth and being creative in the way that we present it to them for them to be able to enjoy it and asking what does budgeting mean to them, asking what it is that they're interested in. And then when they say what it is to do the research and for them to research, you know, the type of money that they will earn from the jobs that they're interested in, and then understanding once they know what their salary is, how to budget that out. And then again, the importance of credit, and with credit comes your social security number. They have to understand, you know, like you were saying in college, they were handed it out like candy. Credit is really their bond and their word, and, you know, and not co-signing on someone else's debt. These are the type of things that we need to teach them and the skills that they need to learn early. Right, exactly. And I'll segue over to Mike because of the work that you do. The whole question about credit, credit score, and how that overlaps with the ability to rent an apartment, the ability to get a mortgage, that's closely tied, isn't it? Yes, for sure. So our model, we break it down into a five-year plan over three phases and take them through a series of phases. First phase focused on self-confidence and a lot of the basic internal work that needs to be done, as Miss Eugenia just said. And then phase two is we talk about self-sufficiency, which is an intro to financial literacy. And then phase three is financial freedom, which goes into the core depth of financial literacy of banking, credit, debt to income, and all of that. I like that you start with the self-confidence because I think a lot of programs just dive right into the numbers and don't take into consideration other elements that play into making decisions. For sure. Yeah. Everything we do is overlaid with mental health. So all of our housing tenants are required to participate in a series of activities, one being mental health or social emotional development. And it's because a lot of them feel like they're very confident, but it's really mistaken for courage, but courage that they've built off of trauma and you know the things that they've been through. And so they're willing to take risks and be courageous, but it's all around the things that are real insecurities inside them because they don't have true confidence. And so we focus on that first and not really make them, but transition their mindset to embrace all that they've been through to make them stronger so that when they do make a decision, it's not really out of insecurity. It's really out of, you know, I believe this is what I believe and this is what I made. And so if I made a decision right or wrong, you know, at least I'm progressing because I'm believing in something. I'm not just taking risk out of insecure things that most young mm-hmm. girls cannot have. Andrea, your program, you had mentioned hip hop. I've heard both pedagogy and pedagogy, so I'm not sure which you pronounce it, but Could you explain a little bit about that? Because I think that's a really nice follow-up to what Mike just shared. Yeah, completely. So I completely agree. It's, you know, money is more than numbers. Money is emotional. And we have to look at our mental well-being, our ability to come together in community, our ability to advocate for ourselves and others. And that's where our hip-hop pedagogy comes in. So it's really centered in starting by understanding our relationship with money. So who are we as learners? How does our self-identity show up in our self-efficacy, show up in our financial lives? How do we start to learn about ourselves so that we can tap into 
the habits and values that matter most to us and really live those out in our financial lives in a meaningful way. And then the next piece with hip hop education is coming together in community to talk about money, to have these really open, vulnerable conversations in an area where you can be brave, you know, stepping in, like Mike saying, that having that courage to have the conversation, but also having the community to take action and be able to take that next step forward. And part of that too is also expression and being able to think creatively about what are the things that you want to be doing to earn money? You know, maybe you're interested in entrepreneurship. How are you going to build towards that home ownership? And really thinking about our creative expression as a way to advocate for ourselves and for others. We've had peer conversations where we see our high school students stepping to the side and they're talking about, you know, oh, how can I help you with getting that charge off your cell phone bill, right? Or how do you even go about choosing your first bank? How do you go about choosing your first credit card? And what do you watch out for? What are the red flags with that? And all of that comes from the space of being able to decompress the emotions around money and then be able to express them in a creative way that shares our learning as a community. And that's really the heart of the hip hop education. Wonderful. Well, when you're sharing all of this great information and helping to build that confidence and competency with these young people, what are the topics, what are the concepts that you would say that youth are the most surprised about or curious to learn about? What engages them the most? So for us here in Florida, we put it all out there in the front for a lot of them because, as I said, a lot of young adults who come out, you know, they're in that victimized state and have come from some very challenging times, which, you know, some rightfully so should be, but they stay stuck on that. And so they're more so being there emotionally stuck on that. They're like, F the system, F the resources, F this person, F that, whatever it is, I want to move on. I don't want nothing to do with the system anymore. But in reality, what we do to transition them, we're like, hey, hold on, hold on. We get that. But right now you're an adult. The system has some boundaries and things that you can take advantage of, but you still get to make a decision without anybody else really being included because you're an adult. And with that power, the state is going to give you $150,000 over the course of the next five years. So what I did is I broke down every single resource that we have accessible to over five years and I put it in a number. And in Florida, it's about $150,000. So when I tell them, hey, the state's going to give you $150,000, they're like, what? State's not going to give me no money. They don't care about me. I was like, well, no, yes, they do. You're going to get a voucher for this much, a tuition waiver for this much, food stamps for this much, this for this. And they're like, oh, so I can use that in a different way. I'm like, yeah, stop thinking about everybody's against you and look how you can use it now to get ahead. So we give them dollar amounts and then we break it down for them on how you get there and the path it takes to really access it and manage it along the journey. I could see how that would get their attention. That would get my attention. You just got mine. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, what else surprises the young people or, or gets them really involved and interested? Well, definitely learning about the budgeting and investing. A lot of them are surprised about the different expenses they will, you know, that they're going to encounter in the future. They're surprised, you know, to learn about the true cost of housing, renting. And with that, they're learning that there are utilities, maintenance costs, insurance to consider. So it's a matter of them learning that, yeah, they are going to have to grow up. And they try to figure out different ways of being able to invest. And those are the opportunities that we provide in our different workshops, in our financial literacy workshops. We bring in different mentors to come in to speak to them 
to let them know the opportunities that are out there, you know, but them being able to budget whatever money that they have is that they come, you know, are their salaries or their wages that they make, you know, to be able to sit down and see if they were on their own, really, what would they apply their money to? And what I come to find is that some of our youth that we work with begin to appreciate what their parents are doing, you know, are their foster parents. And they understand that because generally they're given an allowance. What are you going to do with this allowance? What's important to you? Getting them to understand the importance of saving in order to achieve or accomplish those goals that we sit and work with them on. So we use this as an opportunity just to explain the importance of the financial literacy, the investment, gaining financial Mm -hmm. literacy for them. Absolutely. Now you've made me think of a phenomenon that I noticed that when you're a passenger in a car, and I think when I was younger and I was always the passenger, I never paid attention to the directions of how to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. Right. I was just being carried along. And if somebody were to say, well, how do you get to the mall? I don't really know because I never really paid attention. I think that's a phenomenon that you're saying that these young people and young people in general, but young people who, you know, they haven't had to take care of themselves quite yet. They don't really know and weren't paying attention to when the adults in their lives were paying bills and things like that. They just didn't register. And so they, like you're saying, they could very well be surprised by everything that goes into maintaining financially a life that you want to lead. Great analogy. I can appreciate that one. You're you're right. (laughs) Feel free to use it. <laughs> yes. that's, that's the core of our that's the core of our program, dreams. And it starts with yeah. the skills of being the driver of their life because we relate to a road trip. Most of the time, the last eight years of their life in foster care or whatever, their time length is they have not been the driver. They've been having the joyride in their life in the passenger seat. First yeah. class. And so we transition that. So for sure, you gotta do that. I really like that too. I think that we think of it as like finding your rhythm with finance, right? Because if you're going to find your rhythm with something, you need to be practicing it yourself. You need to be, you know, in that driver's seat. There's also something about that analogy that's so strong because if you're just sitting in the passenger seat, you're kind of absorbing the music around you, the scenery around you. And in the same way, our financial lives, the things that we've seen around us, those money stories carry into our own habits. And those can be things that we've seen on TV, even things that we've, you know, heard in passing. So we found that a lot of our youth are really curious about what does it take to build credit and what is this like credit feels like this black box, right? It feels very abstract. And so really looking at the rules behind the credit game and some of the crazy kind of facts into what's created our modern day credit scores, even the fact that, you know, our credit scores as they exist now are only as old as Taylor Swift. And then really being able to have (laughs) fun with, right? And that sounds kind of cheeky, right? But then when we start to look at that, we can say, okay, so how do you advocate for yourself within a system where there are contradictions, right? You know, you you pay off your first car loan, your score is going to go down a bit. You open a store credit card as your first credit card and you realize that it has a fee on it. So you decide to close it, but now you've closed out your oldest account. So we start to really think about credit as a time travel experience, right? The choices that we make now, how do they impact us in the future and in the past? And being able to then have that curiosity to think about how we can make choices now to set ourselves up for, you know, like Mike's saying, for homeownership or for growing investments or for being able to open a business. Some of our students are interested in creative journeys and they want to create an album. So how do we get that equipment? 
all of those things. And I think the other thing that we really see as a curiosity spark and a surprise element too, is just how hard it is to save. And I think we don't give enough acknowledgement into the fact that there are no social cues around savings. You know, if I tell you I save 50 bucks on these shoes, I just mean that I spent $50 less than I could have. You know, I didn't put $50 (laughs) in my savings account. And so when we're very real and candid about like, hey, building some of these habits, it's not all like fun New Year's. Yay, we're starting something new. It takes Mm -hmm. a muscle, right? And we're going to build that muscle together. And then over time, you're going to see that really start to progress in your life. And young people are very individual in that regard. I know my own two nieces, the older niece from a very young age was really good at saying, yeah, I want to buy that thing. And she could save her allowance and then get it. Whereas her younger sister just spent every penny of allowance she got. (laughs) And she just did not have that same drive to save. So I know that individually, young people can be very different with their motivation as well. Completely. That's actually where we start on our website. We have a money personality quiz and you can take it. It's a two question quiz and you can find which of the four personalities do you have. And we all tend to have those different tendencies that show up in our habits when it comes to budgeting or saving. Yeah. So approaching it, I think, from an individual perspective, when you're teaching these financial skills is important, like so many other things with these young people. Yeah. Excellent. Well, so how do we help foster youth develop this positive and responsible attitude toward money management and financial independence? Because it seems like a lot of work and numbers can intimidate some young people. How do you all in your programs help build that positive attitude? I know we might have alluded to some things that could work there, but let's focus on that right now. For us, again, we all tied into homeownership and into permanency. So more so speaking to what they've heard all their life living in the system, you need to be in a forever foster home, you need to find a permanent home, permanent family, all of that. And so we start the conversation there. This is a time to work towards a path of creating your own forever home, getting what you deserve out of the years of you know abuse and pain you went through. Now you have something to invest and have a strategic plan to work towards. And if you work hard these next five years, then you'll never be searching for another home and you'll have your permanent place forever that you cannot just live in, but you can also earn in by using it as an investment property into the network that in which what we do housing for across the nation. We work with them providing the financial education and we do that through our workshops, our resources that are, you know, they're designed for the youth who are aging out of the foster care system. We have different bank institutions who come in and who are part of the workshops. So they begin to build a positive financial vision as to what is truly needed. And it's not just coming from us as an organization, but from the actual individuals who do the work, who can teach them the importance of of banking, the, the savings, the checking, the credit card, understanding the value of the dollar, that credit cards are not free money. And when you spend it as free money, that there affects your credit if you're not taking and paying down on what you've spent. And it's important for our youth to understand that credit doesn't mean free money. What it does mean is that if you're not being responsible and we're not teaching them the responsibility of understanding credit, then it will affect them when it's time for them to find a place to live, when it's time for them to get transportation to a job that they've worked towards and done internships for. 
it all falls back on the credit. And from the credit, it comes from that social security number, which follows them everywhere. And I mention that a lot because it's important for our youth to understand, even adults to understand, that our social security number ties into every other decision or positive thing that we want to do for ourselves in our future and near future. So overall, by offering them ongoing support and providing them with mentors and coaches that reinforce positive actions. So it sounds like just building the knowledge and the confidence regarding money management, credit, and the decisions that they're making, that in and of itself builds a positive attitude or can build a positive attitude. Yes. You know, I find that that we're more successful with our youth when you find out what it is that they're interested in. If it's playing video games, okay, well, would you like to work at a video store? Or better yet, you're playing video games. I'm sure when you're playing, you're thinking, no, they should have added this. So now you begin to think about creating video games, which in turn, you end up going to college. Meanwhile, if you're working at a video store, you're beginning to have where you're earning money. Now you begin to, it's an opportunity to start targeting and speaking with them about the money that they're earning. Right. Or what they would be earning. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. So, Andrea, I want to see if you wanted to add anything to this conversation about building this positive and responsible attitude toward money management. Yeah, definitely. I think that it all starts with really coming from the perspective of asking our youth, where do you want to create change? Let's find our money personalities because we are, you know, finance is personal and being able to really lean into our tendencies, what are our core values? What are the things that matter to us most? I think the best financial advice that I've ever heard is you're never going to follow a budget you don't believe in. And so how do we start first with the things that matter to us? And that is positive, right? It's who are you and what matters to you and how do you want to see change happen in your life and in your community? And then that art grows out from there. You know, from the hip hop education, we say our workshops are cipher. You know, it's having that community around it. So then you can say, how are we going to grow these savings habits? What are our banking deal makers and deal breakers? You know, do you want to be with a credit union because they have community education programs? Do you want an online bank because they have high yield savings and that's going to give you a better interest rate? And really flipping the script on some of these details to think about our financial systems in the same way we think about going and shopping for a cell phone, right? They are products. They're not institutions like the post office. And so having that become a positive experience where we support our youth in taking the driver's seat and looking at how do they want to take that forward. We also do within our programs have a creative element where students are thinking about do they want to, you know, create a mini documentary? Do they want to create a song? We've had an annual event called Hip Hop FinFest where our youth create songs about money and are able to share those with others to really carry financial lessons forward into community. And a big part of that too is that's helping us think about how do we navigate these financial systems and how do we use our skills to earn And think about our skills as not necessarily being tied to just one job. I really loved how Eugenia was saying, you know, if you love video games, how does that show up in the job you need now? How does it show up in the job that you want to grow into a career? How does it show up maybe in a school program that you're interested in exploring? And we start thinking of those interests and those values and those needs that are tied to our financial lives 
in really tactile, actionable items so that we can kind of take these pocket-sized little steps towards the financial future that we want to build. So what do young people, particularly in foster care, what are some of the challenges or barriers that they face to achieve what it is you're trying to build through the programs that you're talking about and the strategies that you're using? What's unique to this population, would you say? Well, they often have a lack of stable support system that can guide them through the financial decisions. Financial education might not be prioritized during their time in foster care. That leaves them ill-prepared for managing money independently. And then they have their emotional challenges stemming from previous experience and instability or even trauma that can impact their decision-making. Lastly, without a history of credit, they might find it difficult to access loans, credit cards, making it harder for them to create a credit profile. So they need more support within the system they're living Right. And I think that's what we're starting to and beginning to focus on. Because again, when you can build within the community, build out from the community, it creates a better community. What I've heard from different organizations is that a lot of times young people in foster care, they're not encouraged or they're not even Mm -hmm. given the opportunity to get a part time job, right? So that they can start building their credit score. And like we've all said, being taught how to handle a credit card responsibly, because a credit card is actually part of the formula that the credit score takes into account. So you have to be able to utilize, have and utilize a credit card responsibly. So I definitely see that as a challenge. Yeah, I think a big part of it, too, is just, you know, we all need those skills to survive and we see that, but we also need those skills to thrive. And so we have to be able to build those two things simultaneously for our foster youth, oftentimes they don't have the same safety net. If we're talking about building savings, right, let's start with being able to afford the average emergency. The average emergency in the US is $450. And half of people can't take care of that without using a credit card, without borrowing. And if you don't have a safety net, and that's going to, if that emergency is not having transportation to get to a part-time job, and then you've lost the part-time job, you know, as you're taking those steps to independence, those small things that could be a minor inconvenience become a huge derailment. And so being able to start to think about like, how do we build that first thousand dollars in savings? How do we grow from that first thousand dollars towards, I really love how Mike was talking about, you know, it's this pathway towards homeownership. It's this pathway towards a stronger financial future where you're able to really feel like you have that ability to have affordable mistakes. There's been so many books put out there about financial education for youth and how when we're young, we all like, maybe we got the credit card and overspent, or, you know, you really wanted this item and you spent too much on this one thing. And it was just an affordable mistake of being young. But what we see with our foster youth is they don't have that same latitude for those affordable mistakes. So how can we create the space for that, right? How can we create these supports so that because we are all learning with money, we're all going to make financial mistakes. That's just part of the journey of life. And so how can we support our foster youth in being able to learn and grow and reach their goals and not have a small financial misstep become a derailment towards what they really want to build? Okay, so what I'm hearing so far is really key is the lack of support that so many of these young people are dealing with. And like you're saying, that part of that is having that safety net. Mike, did you have anything to add to those and the others that have been mentioned? Nope, that really summarizes up um, <laughs> for us as well, because the biggest thing, you know, out of all of them is really, like everybody was saying, the experience 
A lot of them have no experience and a lack of awareness. The real world to what it really is, these young adults just don't look at it like that. And it's like, no, the world's not changing. This isn't foster care. Something's not about to change just because you get mad. Like it's going to stand here. It's going to be here when you come back. But a lot of times they're triggered and they just think something's going to change and they stay mad until it changes. It's like, no, you may get evicted or you're, like Miss Eugenia said, your social security number may get affected because you don't want to pay your landlord because something happened and now you're mad. But really, you still got to pay your rent. So, yeah, just right. all the above, second everything they said. Yeah, because, you know, the barrier with our foster youth aging out of the system is also them finding affordable housing. Stable employment can be tough for them. It also makes it difficult for them to work on or think about their financial freedom when they have no place to really lie their head. Right. You it know, all goes hand in it, hand. It's all hand in hand. So what would you suggest to programs out there, people who are listening to this podcast, and they do support young people aging out of foster care, but maybe they don't really focus on financial literacy yet. How can these programs incorporate similar strategies to what you've been talking about? How can they start incorporating that into their programs? What would you recommend? I recommend creating internships for our youth, giving them opportunities. That's where mentorships come in. And then you have to understand the population that you're working with, which is very important because they've lived through some challenging times. So the other thing I would say is have patience while providing guidance and opportunities. Because I teach our youth that an internship is very important because it gives you an opportunity to actually learn if this is the area of which you're truly interested in. Because when you're doing an internship, you have more opportunities to learn about that business than when you have that job and you're being paid. That's going to have to be your focus is what your job description is. But with an internship, take that opportunity and learn everything about it. It's like if you go into working at a McDonald's, okay, go on working at a McDonald's, start at cashier, start at cooking fries. But the bottom line and opportunity that you have is also learning management. And then think about owning your own. So giving our youth an opportunity to open up those doors for them. Yeah, and it's important to touch on that because it's part of our model. And we have a real, real, real detailed, comprehensive model on how we acquire real estate, start housing, and implement our programming. But part of it is, is every home that we launch, we wrap that home around five partners, and we call them safe team members. And it's a therapeutic organization, which is focused on our mental health. It's a coaching organization, a mentor organization, a spiritual organization, and an entertainment organization. And what this provides is experiences and opportunities for all of our young adults, with one of them being employment. Because often the thing is getting these young adults jobs is hard, not because job opportunities is limited, but because the social emotional challenges that they have, they end up quitting or they end up getting fired or they end up not understanding that hierarchy of respect and performance when they're in a professional environment because they're so used to doing what they want in these residential homes or in the system of care. So we collaborate with workforce partners and call them internships, call them work service projects, depending on the type of project it is. And then we collaborate with the employer to employ them. Everything's done through them like a normal job. But before they fire them or before they critique them, they'll call us and our coaches first. And then our coaches deliver that information. So that way they have the opportunity to keep that job. And the employer has the opportunity to have a staff developed 
and mitigate some of the issues they have in the workforce field at the time. Well, that's fantastic. I know one of the big challenges among young people in foster care might not be so much getting a job, but keeping it. Yes. So that's exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Understanding the population that you're working Mm -hmm. on, understanding our youth, our foster youth. Because there's even a lot of federal money just in, you know, career source and any job employer from the state or federal dollars. There's a lot of money in career training right now, but there's just not a lot of support for these career or these employers for the staff and the population that they're hiring. So they end up just running through them and not knowing how to support them which is depreciating the community because now the community hate the system and they hate the employer and they hate the taxpayers and everything, everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the employers appreciate this partnership too, I'm sure. It helps with the longevity of employment. Yes, for sure. Because one thing, young adults come out of the system, they are loyal as ever, but they're loyal to the unhealthy parts of life. And when they get on the healthy side, they stay loyal to their providers or to whoever they're with. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Andrea, how about the question about how programs can incorporate financial literacy into their own programs. I'm happy to share that. So one of the things that has been really amazing for us in the last you know, 15 years, we've teamed up with communities all across the country. And so we actually have a toolkit on our website for anybody that's interested in you know, finding money personality, being able to incorporate spending values into your program, and then you know, starting to think about banking dealmakers and deal breakers, those kind of fine if foundational financial skills. We also do free community events virtually. We have our Hip Hop Fin Fest every April for Financial Capability Month so that we're really able to build out these free lessons that community leaders, program managers can download and can start having these conversations because making change really starts with talking about money. And if financial education isn't already a cornerstone within the programs that you're running and leading, then it's finding those spaces to build that in, right? And similar to what Eugenia and Mike had said too, it's also knowing your community and seeing who can you tap within the community to come in and maybe be a guest speaker, maybe support mentorships, support those connections to employee possibilities. Like here in New York, we've worked with a summer youth employment program that ensures internships for youth over the summer. And I think that when we start to kind of like, or even when Mike was saying, you know, oh, you have all of this money available to you through the state, but this is what it takes to get it. It's really being able to start to integrate those into our day-to-day programs. If you have that weekly Wednesday meetup, what if we take, you know, 20 minutes out of that and it's time to have a money buddy conversation. And so we have web comics, videos, songs, all of that available so that we can really inspire financial resilience. And that work that we've done, those shared practices, we've taken those and shared those at Harvard and South by Southwest EDU. So we're really excited to keep sharing them across the community. So it sounds like a part of what you're saying is to help young people engage with financial topics and concepts, make it a little more active. Don't just put them in down in a classroom and show yes. them PowerPoint slides. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Doing things that are getting them involved in the experience of earning money, seeing the results of managing money well, having activities and things like you're saying, Andrea, versus just looking at PowerPoint bullets is going to go so much further. That's where we build relationship. That is knowing our youth. That is hearing them. That's Mm -hmm. being in the journey with them. We have to center our financial education, our financial programming around our youth's lived experiences. If we don't, we're just missing the mark. Absolutely. Well, I know we're coming up to the end of our time, and I wish we had another hour to keep digging into this more, but we're going to have to bring it to a close or land the plane, as some people say. 
I would like to give everybody an opportunity to share anything that you might like to about your program that you haven't already shared or that maybe you want to emphasize before we sign off today. I can go ahead. I'd like to just invite everybody to find us on socials. We're on Instagram at Pockets Change, and it's a great way to start to explore Money Buddy conversations, to access some of these videos and songs and web comics that I'm talking about and bring those out into your program and start financial conversations. And I would say the same. Definitely follow us on social media. We'd love to connect with everyone. Anybody interested in just learning more about, you know, supportive housing models, youth development models for a path to home ownership, and how we speak to financial literacy, we're very, very, very welcome to doing any trainings, any seminars or anything, because we have some really, really fantastic results. We currently have 53 beds. Our retention rate is a 92%. So when it comes to dealing with this high-risk population, we're keeping them stabilized. And out of the three years we've been operating in housing, we have five young adults already with $10,000 plus saved that are 20 and 21 on their way to homeownership. So the model is working and we really just want to share it with the world so that everybody can have the opportunity to coach the same way because the resources are there in every state across the U.S. The government definitely is aware of foster care now and the support is there. We just got to get more people the education and the experience. I'd just like to invite everyone to come to take a look at our website, which is livingadvantageincinc.org. You'll find the different programs that we have with the school's probation department. One of the things that I like to also express is that we have a web app for our foster care youth to start keeping and maintaining their vital life documents because their documents are very important because foster youth transfer from home to home at least seven times throughout the time that they're staying within the foster care system. And their vital life documents do not follow them, like their birth certificates, social security cards, and school records. Without that, it's very challenging for them to move forward. So Yeah, you have I'm thinking about well birth certificate. Don't you have to know the county that you're born in? Yes, you do. In, in order to get that. You you have to know that and what we have found because we previously had group homes for over 12 and a half years and what we found that we have youth that have come in and believe that they were one age and then later found out that they were a whole different age. Wow. Yes, coming in thinking that they're 15, saying they're supposed to be in the 10th grade, and then finding out they actually were 14 because their records were lost and transitioning from one home to the next. Yeah. So yeah, that's absolutely. That's why it's, it's very important. That's why I'm so on their vital life documents. I was blessed to have my parents who had ours secure. And our youth need to know that their identity is very important which also helps, you know, like Mike said, to help build confidence in themselves. Right. Well, thank you for doing that. Thanks for sharing that part of your program. I appreciate it. Thank you all very much. I'm appreciative of you joining this conversation today. And I look forward to following your organizations and hearing about them down the road and how they grow and expand and keep helping young people. For those of you who have listened to the end of this podcast, thank you very much. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org. And then just look for the podcast link in the menu to the left-hand side. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.